I can make it through a Degrassi viewing podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. Um, hi, I'm reading for the part of the neophyte. And, what's your name, My though? name is Frank. <laughs> and today we're going to be taking a I'm look... Not I'm not getting on that callback list, am I? Mm, well, let's, let's <laughs> see how you do through, after the first run-through. <laughs> Um, today we're going to be looking at season two auditions as our final stop on our kind of mini hiatus business. Um, so this one was kind of interesting. We see some expanded auditions from some of the season one crew. We see some auditions from our lovely season two ones that we adore deeply. Um, it's an interesting one to kind of take a look at. So shall we just jump into it? Yep. All right. So the first one is, um, Melissa McIntyre's singing audition. Um, she reveals during, like, a pre-interview in the audition that she loves musical theater and suddenly everything fell into place for me. <laughs> as soon as I heard that. That was the, uh, the long piece Tetris block. Right? I was just like, oh. Oh, why didn't I notice this? I surrounded myself with musical theater kids in high school. How did I not know? Um, and she talks about how much she just loves everything about acting so much. Which, fair enough, I suppose. Um, and she goes through her Terry monologue. We've talked about this before, you know, it just, she, she doesn't quite nail this one. I think that, um, Christina Schmidt does a far better job with it for reasons that make a lot of sense. For example, this is a fat character. Um, well, I don't know if the visual, I don't know if they visualized Terry as a fat character when they were in this stage, but it resonates a lot more when Christina Schmidt is doing it than when, um, when Melissa McIntyre is doing it. The first time she does it, she does it super fucking fast, but you can kind of tell she's a fast talker in general. Yeah. Does it the second time around a little more slow. Um, and I just, the whole time I'm listening to her, I'm listening to the way that she enunciates words, and all I could think about was, oh my fucking God, how did I not realize she was in musical theater? <laughs> it's just like that very enunciated way. Not quite in the way that Miriam McDonald does it, but like in, in a way that is just like, no, you were trained to do this. This is not just you doing it. Like, there is a reason. But, um... Anyway, she sings. Um, I did not bother to look up what song she auditioned with. Um, but it's a very pleasant one. She has a very good... She has a very strong voice, which I've always felt that way, even in the show itself. Um, what I was impressed about with the way that she sang was that she was sit sitting on a pretty shitty little, like, they have this red, like, chair, plush chair that they're all sitting in for a lot of these auditions. Um, and I feel like she had very good breath control and everything, even though she was sitting on that kind of crappy looking chair. I feel like if I was in it, I would have, like, collapsed my diaphragm. Yeah, like, there's no, doesn't, there didn't seem to be a designated audition room for any of these. No, no, it looked like, it looked like, like, some, like, it kind of looked like the offices that my therapy takes place in, where there's, like, there's a chair and some shelving and things like that, and, like, people just kind of rent the space at their will. It felt like that. Um, I looked it up real quick. It's The Rose by Bette Midler. Oh. Which, of course. Of course. But she does a pretty good job of it. Honestly, her voice is very strong. I, I can see why they kept her. I can see also why they decided to put her in something different, a different type of role. Um, I'm not sure where Ashley as a character was kind of conceptualized. Was this a case of like a what came first type of situation? Did she come in and they were making the character? Were they working on the character beforehand? I'm not certain. But I do think that... She, I understand why they put her onto the show, and I do believe that they picked a pretty decent 
um, part for her, especially one that allows her to sing, because she is a good singer. Yeah. Um, next is Christina Schmidt and her audition. Um, she does the Terry monologue. Um, it's kind of interesting. I find that her verbally is very good, but if you look at her, it's a mess. Her, like, body language is really not quite all there yet. Mm -hmm. Her, um, her, um, eyes are kind of all over the place. Like, she's trying to look at people, but they're not necessarily there. Um, she's just trying to, trying to give you something, which I appreciate. But it is very disjointed. It kind of feels like her voice is doing one thing and her body is kind of doing another. Um, but obviously that comes with practice and time and all that good stuff. Um, however, her singing audition, it's, it's cute. It's also a lot shorter. Yeah, like, she, she I, I, I don't want to be like, this child is bad at singing, but it's kind of more what I would expect a kid to be able to sing. Like, she's not a bad singer, necessarily, but you can kind of tell that her breath control is just not quite where Melissa McIntyre's is, etc., etc. Like, she's just not as... She probably has just not had as much training as uh, Melissa has. Yeah. And that's just all there is to it. Yeah. Um, next, which is interesting, is Daniel Clark as Jimmy. Yeah. Um, which, actually, um, after we watch this, puts a much different spin on the character. Because the monologue that Jimmy's giving, or Craig, Daniel Craig as Jimmy is giving, is just like, he's like, I have the perfect life. My parents aren't around. I'd like to see them more, but like I do what I want. I can live the, the life I want. Yeah. Because in this, he's saying his parents are overseas. I still don't know what the, what the situation is with Jimmy's parents right now. Um, but, like, it would definitely be, and he's like, I'm the most popular guy in school. At least that's what everybody tells me. And the fact, like, changing this character from like, black to white, definitely puts a different perspective on it. It really does. In in the case of Daniel Clark, he he's adorable. Like, he's absolutely adorable. And if you, like, he does the interview beforehand, and the whole entire time he's doing the interview beforehand, he talks about how he really likes, like, he likes going into character, but he also, like, just likes the attention. Um, he likes the attention that he gets when he acts, which, valid, and I, I appreciate that he's that honest. Um, and he talks about how he's interested in directing and producing, and then he goes into this monologue, and it just feels very typical. Especially because, like, his hair is very light in this audition. He just kind of looks like... Spinner. Yeah, but he, he looks like your run-of-the-mill jock. Like, oh, wah. I have all this privilege, but my mommy and daddy don't love me. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, I have this deep, dark secret of some sort. But, like, it just is like the stakes are just not quite there. And there's something about with Jimmy, the stakes do get raised a bit because this is a black character. And he, he does have shit he, he is dealing with. Not just the fact that his parents are not around, which, even if it was a white character, that does suck. Mm -hmm. But there's something about the way that... Jimmy Jimmy has a lot of other things that he has to kind of deal with and make sense of, and it makes his character, um, when they do it correctly, it makes his character richer because of it, mm -hmm. um, in terms of just, like, the depth of him. And I feel like, I, I don't know exactly when, like, we still have not seen the fabled audition for Aubrey, 
I don't know if we will on any of the extras. I haven't really looked. But I am very curious about, like, how he kind of took it. And I'm also very curious, like, kind of, like, how how the auditions ran in terms of, like, what was the thought process? Who came first? Were they looking at a bunch of, like, you know, white kids and going, like, ah, this isn't quite working. And then they had another, then they had, like, Aubrey come in or somebody else and they were like, okay, maybe this is the direction we need to go with this character. Um, because the beats are very similar, but there's a little more going on, which I appreciate. Yeah. But I think if they went with Daniel Clark, even if he, he did a good job, I'm not saying he did a bad job at all in the audition, if they went with Daniel Clark, it would have been every other jock character that you see in a teen. Anything. Yeah, I, I couldn't... I, I felt... He's Sean. He is. He is. Well, like, also, like, he talks about how he likes being a character. And I feel like that's why <laughs> his his take on Sean pays off, because he goes all in in being Sean. I, I feel like, um... I feel like somebody said to him the line from Pulp Fiction, um, just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. Oof. And he took it as a compliment and never forgot it. Yeah, right. But I really do like how he is in, um, I do appreciate, like, I like his energy. I think he does a fine job with the monologue, but I think that it was a good call to not have that character be white. Yeah. Um, next is Cassie Steele as Liberty. Cassie is so cute because she starts it with, like, I love Julia Roberts and bloopers. <laughs> and that's why she wants to go into acting because she loves Julia Roberts <laughs> And she loves what she describes as the stuff at the end of the movie where they show you, like, when they screw up. All the bloops. All the bloops. She loves them. At first I thought she was talking about making up featurettes, and I was like, that makes sense. That's what the, That makes sense why somebody would want to get into movies after that. No. No. So one of my favorite things is during the casting for Parks and Recreations, um... They brought in Aubrey Plaza, and Aubrey Plaza's character, April Lungate, didn't exist. And, like, the creator, Mike Shearer, said, like, I, like, you, like, to his uh, partner, Greg Daniels, like, you have to come in. I've met the weirdest girl I've ever met. Yeah. Like, you have to meet her. We have to have her on the show. And they invented the character for her. Yeah. Like, they didn't, I don't even think she read for the lines. They just, like, kept trying to entertain her, and they couldn't do it. Oh, my God. And I really feel like with Cassie Steele, seeing this audition, it's just, like, the casting director was like, we have to have her on the show. She's adorable. Yeah, like, she's so damn cute. What can we do with her? I just met the cutest child ever. She's adorable. Um, and, and that makes the Liberty monologue really not work on her, because Liberty's monologue is brutal. It's classist, quite frankly. <laughs> Liberty, Liberty's basically like, I will laugh upon my... The, the Liberty monologue is like, I will laugh atop my pile of money. That's literally what it is. It's her being like, I'm not going to have fun now, but I'm going to have fun later when I have enough money that I can get a fucking Jaguar and everybody else is working at fucking McDonald's. And it's like, yo, Liberty, calm down! Calm down! I worked at, I worked at McDonald's. There's a nobleness to it. It's true, you did. Um, but and it, I can't grow hair on my parts of my arms because of it, that fucking fajita oven. You know, now that I'm looking at your arms, I... Huh. It's right down here. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I'm like looking... Yeah, I'm like looking. I'm like, oh. That got scorched. Yeah. So. Interesting. Ouch. I... 
put my arms down on it, not realizing it was super hot. Anyway. Valid. Anyway. Um, anyway, so, like, Cassie's doing this, and, of course, like, early Cassie Steele stuff, if you remember in season one, she has the cutest little voice, <laughs> and she just is so adorable, and so she's, like, go delivering this, and she's not doing a bad acting <laughs> job, but she's so fucking cute that you're just like, what? No. It's like Strawberry Shortcake ordering, like... Ordering somebody to the execution block? Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Jesus. Fuck. It's like, the thing about, like, how, um... God, I can't think of the actress's name. The way that Liberty's actress, um, performs. Like, I feel like there's always a haughtiness to her. Yeah. There's always just a little bit. Like, she's incredibly sweet. But, like, when... and But when she's, like, in Liberty, like, I am going to fuck shit up mode always has this, like, holier-than-thou attitude. And, um... I Sarah, uh, barabbled, uh, to shower. Thank you. Um, and when she does it, like, you, you can kind of feel that she thinks that, even if she, she's still working on it, she wants to believe she's better than everybody else. Even if she doesn't quite believe it yet, she's gonna fucking get there. Yeah. With, with Cassie, the delivery is so, just so adorable. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I can't. Oh, honey, I can't. Um, but still does a good job. It's just a very peculiar monologue and not a great fit for her. Season two is interesting because there's a couple, well, two that I really think of, this one and another one, and, and Melissa's that just are very bad fits for the actors, but not, not because the actors are bad actors. It's just not a good character for them. Yeah. Uh, next is Andrea Lewis as Hazel. Um... She also is really cute. She thinks acting is super fun. Some of these there, there's like a little bit of an interview between like whoever the person doing the casting is and the and the kid. And I really like this one because she's talking about how much fun acting is. She wants to become an actress slash singer or a director, which of course is a bummer because this means like literally out of the gate when she was working with Degrassi, she was very clear that she had the capacity to sing. And of course it was not... Not respected at the level that she deserved. Well, even more so than that, this is, it's just like, hey, I love doing this. I have, like, you know, this is, like, something I really want to do. And then we read that article, and it's just like, they suck. Yeah, they really, they really fucking dropped the ball. And the thing is, is, like, her monologue, content-wise, not as deep as some of the others. Basically, the whole entire thing is, uh, is, um... Is like basically like she talks about how she's throwing this party and how she's really fucking good at throwing parties and how she's so good at it she makes sure even people who hate party like hate who she does not like at the party have a good time and how she really wants her dad to be able to make it but her dad is busy and she hopes that you know next year which she has this kind of uh, line about having it be thin themed to Gone with the Wind. But regardless, she wants. To, she hopes that she'll have a really good party next year, and her father will actually be able to make it. Weren't we talking about that? Wasn't there a Gone with the Wind line in yes. Don't Believe the Hype? Yes, I think it was one of those. I can't remember. Or Against All Odds, maybe? Yeah. I think it was Against All Odds. Anyway, so, uh, but... The thing about this monologue is she fucking delivers it. Yeah. She's so vivacious. Like, I feel like that's the word I always think about when I see this actress. Like, she just, she commands this type of attention, which, honestly, she commands a type of attention that I think is entirely 
at the same level that Paige's actress does. Yes. I feel like it's just one of those things where just she she is just so good. Um, and the fact that they had this great audition and they had this girl show that she has all these talents and they just kind of never really use them as infuriating because she does so well in this monologue. Pearl before swine. Yeah, exactly. But, like, she's she's really fucking good. Like, I was very impressed by it. Um, the other audition that I was very impressed by was uh, Jake Epstein as Craig. Yeah. This monologue is interesting. We have pieces of this monologue happen in season two, actually, which is kind of like talking about... It's like Craig having that existential crisis about how, like, we're all just kind of, like, specks. And it, it continues into bigger pieces. It's an incredibly difficult monologue because there's a lot of tonal shifts within it. Because basically the summary of it is he talks about how, like, how insignificant everyone is, but he's not suicidal because he's seen his mother die. That fucking sucked. He doesn't want to go through that again. In any way, he has Angie, and he likes working, playing with Angie, and he likes playing Barbies with Angie, and how he's actually pretty good at it. He talks about some of the weird shit that he does. Um, and it, there's, it's an incredibly hard monologue, because you are trying to nail this, like... Basically, it's a very mentally ill monologue. I don't know how else to put it. Like, if you are mentally ill, you look at it, and you're like, yep, okay, that makes sense. Or you've been traumatized in any way, you're like, yeah, okay, I, I get it, I get it. This is how my brain works. Yeah, right. Like, to me, I'm like, oh, this makes perfect sense. But if you do not go through anything like that, or you're just a kid and you're just starting acting or whatever, it's really fucking hard. Um, and Jake goes into it, and he actually is really, he's very strong. He's able to nail how glib a lot of the lines are and the casting person also notes that how he's able to nail the first half of it pretty well but it's when he starts trying to cover up information and maintain tension that's when he has to like do it again and it's interesting because like the person who's auditioning him is trying to give him some notes about Craig as a character and is basically like yeah this character's fucked up like <laughs> And the look Jake has on his face when he's taking the notes is one of, like, pure attention and intensity. Yes. And he comes in and tries to counter pieces of it, too, because he's like, well, I went this way because I saw in the description this character is blank. And they were like, well, actually, like, they, they don't just say, like, hey, you're playing a very mentally ill character, but they do say, like, you know, this is a character who's been through a lot, and, like, you gotta kind of figure out exactly how you're going to carry that. It's very, very hard, and I do kind of appreciate that they went right out of the gate going, like, hey, this is our vision for this character, you've got to be able to handle this weight. Because it is, I mean, even just season two alone, this is a character who goes through a whole fucking lot. Yeah. And... It's, it's a very interesting thing to kind of see unfold, but it's also very interesting because Jake does a very good job. Yeah. He takes the notes, he does it again, he handles a lot of the tension of it, it transitions much smoother in the second time around, um, and it's just, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. He's a very talented kid. Yeah. Um, next is Stacy Farber as Ellie. Once again, like, no audition place. She's just sitting in a corner of a room. It looks like a music room. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can see the parking lot through the window. Yeah. Um, 
Ellie's monologue is interesting. I can kind of see, like, the vestiges of it in what they ended up going with Ellie. Um, but it's, it's interesting because it's mostly about her being stuck in an elevator with a girl who looks like Britney Spears. Um, and how they're stuck in the elevator long enough that they talk about things. They find out that they have some common ground. They're latchkey kids. They like John Cusack movies. They like Ben and Jerry's. And then when Ellie goes to, um, goes to see her in school and, like, says hi, the girl doesn't acknowledge her, and she's really upset. Yeah. And the first time around, I mean, I, the first time around she does a pretty good job with it. I think she does a pretty good job both times. Um, she gets very confused by the note, and I was kind of confused by the note that the casting person gives, because the note is, like, Ellie is sensitive, but she tries to cover it up. I mean, that makes sense to me. It makes sense, but, like, I feel like... It's, it's, a, it's a confusing note to be given. Yeah, it's it's. I think it need a little more... Uh, well, like, I don't think you can just summon that. No, 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 no. I think you got to give, like, an example or a little more guidance as to what that looks like. Because, like, Stacey's like, uh, okay. Oh, and the casting director refers to Ellie as Stacy. Yeah, yeah. At one point, she just straight up calls Ellie Stacy, and it's, like, this kind of cute little moment. I'm sure that's a big relief. For, for Stacy being like, okay, maybe I am on the right track. Like, you know, if I'm getting confused for the character, I must be doing something right. It's probably the same as when Ivana Lynch came in to read for Luna Lovegood. Yeah. And she came in wearing the radish earrings. And she's like, oh my god, that's, that's her. Yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, because like Ellie's like, I mean, Ellie? Stacy. Stacy doesn't look like very Ellie, but like she's still wearing like a pretty big silver chain around her neck. She has like a black shirt underneath a denim jacket and stuff. Like you can kind of begin to see the rumblings of what will become Ellie. Um, she has a very cute purse. It's like she does have a very cute purse. White and black. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah, she's she's just she comes in and I you know she she does pretty well um, and. It's it's kind of interesting also to see this note where they're trying to, and I feel like Ellie is another character that they were probably really having, trying to find a very specific person to audition, because it seems to me that if their note was that she's sensitive but hiding her emotions, then the plan for her to be, in, at the very least, having a rough life was probably set up very early. Yeah. I don't know if they were going to go from the jump, yes, this is the character, we're going to have self-harm, but it does read to me that they were like trying to build up this character in a way that, like, whoever was going to play it was going to have to have quite a bit to work with. Yeah. But it's interesting because the monologue, I think, is deceptive in how it comes off simpler than it is, and probably a lot of kids, when they played it, probably did a lot of eye rolls and a lot of, like, exaggerated, just like, ugh, like yeah. this Britney person. But Stacy, Stacy's a little, you know, haughty at times about it, but overall is just more hurt by the fact that they went, that she confronted her own prejudices and the other person didn't do the same. Yeah. Which I think is such an Ellie thing, ultimately. And if this is still part of the character's backstory, we'll explain her dislike of Paige. Yes, 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 yes. What if it was Paige in the ele elevator? Paige doesn't live in that apartment complex. I mean, Ellie doesn't either, but imagine. Yeah. Fanfic. <laughs> Next up. <laughs> oh my god. Next up, I click on it. It's the last audition. It's on its own page. And it's a it's a Damo. Auditioning for fucking Craig. Our beloved Marco auditioning for Craig. And I can read, I can see one of Donnie's notes, which just says, what is he wearing? And 
Let me describe it to you, listener. Thank you. He is wearing a yellow down, a bright yellow down vest, a white turtleneck, um, which I don't know what you call it, has the like lines in the fabric. It's ribbed. Ribbed, thank you. No problem. A, like a cross. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's a good boy. And some glasses. It's a wooden cross, too. Like, and, he's a fucking altar server. And some glasses. And his hair is so short. It's very short. And I'm just like, oh, you are not the Marco I know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a nightmare. And he gives and he gives the mono, same monologue. And it's once again, it's the it's still a pe- like it's still like a piece to the set but it's trying to go into it's the square piece trying to go in that circle hole the thing about it is i feel like i feel like there is an anxiety to the way that he performs monologue and i don't necessarily mean that think that means that he's anxious delivering it but i think his interpretation of it is this is a character who is trying to reveal something about themselves and be like, ha ha, but yeah, like, no, I'm not that serious, ha 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 ha. Like, that type of delivery, as opposed to what they're looking for in this character and what we kind of saw in Jake's audition, which is, like, this is a character who is a little glib, a little snide, and, you know, almost, like, laughs in the face of his trauma at times. Which we see in how Craig is as a character. Meanwhile, Adamo's, um take on Craig is this I think is more what we see Marco and how he deals with his own traumas it's mm-hmm. it's more anxious it's more um, being wanting to be a people pleaser and wanting to have people like him even though he is dealing with this shit yeah so it makes sense in the way that I understand why he went this way but it's obviously not right for Craig and it doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad actor and it doesn't necessarily mean that he's like you know bad at the craft or anything like that, it's just not the right fit for Craig. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, he's still part of the shape hole set. Yeah. But he's not it's, that this one. This isn't the Yeah, exactly. It's not the one. Um, and the producer gives a very interesting note, which I feel like sums Craig up a lot of the time, which is that she wants him to pretend that he does not have any problems. Yeah. Which I feel like sums up Craig so fucking much. Um... And it's a, it's a hard thing, especially if you're a kid and you're, cause like in that monologue, he literally is just like, you know, flippantly talking about suicide and things like that. Like it's, if you're a kid and you're like, you know, here I am auditioning for Degrassi, what the fuck? Oh no. <laughs> like, I, I do understand why some kids were like, uh, I don't think I can handle this. Yeah. I, but once again, I think he tries his best. I'm sure it was a case of they saw him, they liked him, but they needed to find something else to do with him. Yeah. But it was interesting seeing him, even, even the thought of him becoming Craig is, like, so incongruous to me. <laughs> Marco wouldn't do those things. No, Marco would not do those things. I also, just like, I don't know. I, I There were a couple, like, I don't know, it's interesting to think about. It feels like everybody is so firmly where they were supposed to be. Yeah. That's what I feel after seeing both sets of auditions. Like, everyone ended up where they were supposed to be. There was not really a moment where I watched something and I was like, oh, well, this person would have been a great one, and this could have been a good swap. No. Yeah. Everyone had to be where they needed to be, or this would not have worked. Yeah. 
And that's about it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, so, we are happy to announce that we are going to be back to our usual season four schedule starting next week. Um, thank you everybody who has been super patient and awesome going through these mini episodes with us. We've quite enjoyed doing them. Yeah, um, it's been nice to have a little break. Yeah, it's nice to have a little break, but still thinking about Degrassi. It's nice kind of changing things up a little bit. Um, and we really appreciate those of you who are being supportive during all of this time. Um, but yeah, we're going to be kicking off Season 4 again with Season 4, Episode 4, and we should be back to a consistent schedule for here on out, unless otherwise stated. Um, but you'll always get an episode. Yes, that's what matters. We always want to make sure that you guys get an episode. So no matter what, whether it's this type of stuff or the episodes that we're trying to get through, we want to make sure during this time that you are still getting content, and we're always going to make sure that you still get content. Yeah. If you would like to email us with any questions, comments, or concerns, you can absolutely do so at ihopod at gmail.com. Also, feel free to send us any audio or text talking about your relationship with the series. We would love to read them or play them during the show. If you also want to ask about any guest appearances, do not hesitate to reach out. We have people secured for a lot of Season 4, but we are always interested in hearing other voices. And honestly, why not have multiple guests on? We are always open for that type of stuff. So please email us if you have any interest in that as well, and we will gladly give you more information about how you can get involved in that way. If you want to follow us on social media, our two major platforms are on Twitter at I Hope Pod, as well as our Facebook group at I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. This is where you can stay in touch and keep, us up, keep you updated about various content, as well as any inane thoughts that we sometimes have. Um, if you want to support the show, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can leave us a rating or review. Once we hit 20, we are going to go back into the Degrassi archives to check out Degrassi The Next Generation and Degrassi High. Um, thank you, everybody, who has sent us reviews and ratings so far. Um, it's been really appreciated. Also, you can support us by donating to our coffee. Any money that we make off of our coffee account goes toward compensating our guests as well as any potential tech upgrades. Um, so, if you are interested in ways you can support the show outside of the ratings, that is always a good way of doing that. Um, if you want to talk to me individually, you can follow me on Twitter at DM is Unbreakable. I don't have a Twitter, but I do have an extra podcast called Teen Girl Talk, where I review movies with my sister, uh, teen movies, media, and all that other stuff. Um, this week, we're doing The Wrong Teacher, a lifetime movie version of The Boy Next Door. It is completely bonkers, and we loved it. It sounds bonkers, from um, what I've heard. I also, my YouTube channel is getting off the ground, finally. Um, Mondays are going to be Monday Morning Aspirations. Just little, you know, uh, little inspirational quotes to get you through the week. Wednesdays are going to be a new web series I'm doing called Mental Health Advice, where I take some of the bullshit I've had to deal with and what I've learned, and pass it on to you if you're going through some shit as well. Um, and then Fridays is Fan Fiction Love Roulette, where I pull two characters from the game, um, slash, uh, and then write fan fiction about them and then read it. Um, so if you ever wondered what I look like, you'll be able to check out the Wednesday Mental Health Advice show. Yeah, if you don't follow our social media. Um... And also, uh, five more reviews at Teen Girl Talk, and I will, I have promised to release a sexy Frank calendar. It's just going to be me standing with a lot of beach balls. Hell yeah. For 12 <laughs> months? Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> Just at the office, beach ball. <laughs> okay. Sure. Do what you gotta do, buddy. Hey, there's something for everybody, right? Yeah. Good. With that being said, we hope we can keep making it through and that you're going to be there with us. Thank you for listening, everybody. See ya. Later. Bye.